This is Real Estate Journeys, episode 101. Welcome to Real Estate Journeys, here to help you build your cash-flowing real estate empire that you've been dreaming of. This is about real estate investors who have escaped the soul-crushing 9-to-5 rat race by taking action, leveraging relationships, and gaining the financial independence. It's time to stop making excuses and get the insight and knowledge you need to become a successful real estate investor. This is your host, Matthew Baltzell. Yo, 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 yo. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Matty B, a.k.a. Matthew Baltzell, and welcome back to Real Estate Journeys, the exclusive podcast for real estate investors looking to scale to 100 units and live that location-independent lifestyle. That's right, guys. On today's episode, guys, I think you're going to really enjoy this. It is about capital raising, how to break into the industry, and really getting your start and getting things moving here for you. So with all that said, guys, quick little intro. Let's jump into it. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Journeys. So I'm very excited about today's guest. His name is Daniel Holmlund. He is a Swedish gentleman. We actually had some banter off screen about his name, but hopefully I said it correctly. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. So a lot of times when people uh, real estate investors, you know, we're thinking of getting into real estate and we want to always think about like capital, right? Where does it come from? You hear these things about raising capital. You know, I can get into real estate because I don't have capital, but that's not necessarily the case. Can you give us a little bit of a, a background of how you started getting into raising capital and how you got into real estate? Sure. So, uh, of course, my interest started, as I think with everybody, with real estate itself and just being interested in it. <laughs> So I started with real estate probably uh, back in 2003, and that was just buying single family homes and uh, either fixing them up a little and and selling them off or renting them out again. Then during 2008, uh, I was actually living overseas in France, and I was working for a small publishing company there doing volunteer work with uh, some of the locals that were there. And I needed to come up with a way of getting my family kind of a, a second line of income because we were over there on volunteer wages. And so I started doing hard money loans to rehabbers. And of course that was 2008 and uh, the crash came and my uh, rehabber called me up and said, Hey Daniel, um, guess what? You're not getting your money back. Mm. So um, that was, we had some uh, interesting, not so fun discussions, but they were civil and they actually turned out okay. He ended up deeding me the house and I kept that as a rental for a while until 2015. Then I sold it and started getting more into real estate syndication. It was a hot topic at the time. And um, at the time, I didn't know very much about it or how it was organized. I just knew it was the pooling together of people's money in order to buy larger assets. And one of the things that I could see from my single family days is, like a lot of people say, if you've got a single family home and it is vacant, then you have 100% vacancy. Um, But if you've got a multifamily property and a couple of the units are vacant, then you maybe only have a couple of percentage of points of vacancy. And so I could see that it was a much more stable asset to be in. And so I I started listening to a lot of podcasts and a lot of books. And uh, my background is in engineering. I'm I'm an engineer at Intel. So Mm -hmm. I started going through a lot of the numbers as well. 
And eventually I got into capital raising specifically because I had to make a choice about whether I want to spend money to get a, a coach or whether I wanted to join a profitable venture with people that knew what they were doing and either learn from their experience and make money with them. And I, I decided to do the latter. Why did you, why did you not decide to do the, uh, the coaching? Cause you know, you hear now, especially it's like get a mentor, get a mentor, get a mentor, join a program. I, I think a mentor program. has great benefits. I really do. It's just that at the time I thought that there's plenty of good free education out there also. Mm-hmm. And so if you're determined and you want to educate yourself, you can do a lot of that. And then you can find people that are better than you in their real estate journey. And you can learn a lot from them. Now I do have a mentor. And uh, I, I do have a full-time coach that I pay. And so I decided that initially my time would be better spent learning the basics. And then once I really got to those pain points and those sticking points, going to find a coach. Mm-hmm. I thought that initially there's so much information available. And, and I really encourage other people too to go and learn from podcasts, learn from books. There's a lot you can do just on your own so that when you get to that point of needing to take that next step, you can go and get somebody's hand that'll help you and take that next step. Okay. And how did you go about raising capital the first time? So the first time, let me back up a little bit though. I got my education first Okay. and I invested with another group that was very good at what they were doing. That was uh, three pillars capital out of Houston, Texas. Uh, They had a program where they would take limited partners, people that were investing in their syndications and give them jobs to do in their syndications that would help them get their feet wet at being part of a syndication team. Mm -hmm. And so they, they gave me the job for instance of interviewing a bunch of property managers. When you say jobs, is this a internship or is this a paid uh, separate from the being the LP. It's, it's more like an informal internship. Okay. Um, okay. In a legal sense, I was a limited partner. I had no, uh, you know, voting role in the mm. syndication whatsoever. They were simply getting tasks off their task lists and giving it to people that were enthusiastic and wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. So I took advantage of that and I kept in good contact with them. And our relationship developed over the next six months until they decided to invite me to be a real estate a uh, capital raiser for them mm-hmm. and to, to basically um, go and talk to the people within my network and um, develop relationships with them, tell them that I'm an investor and that I work with people that are buying buildings and renovating them and returning an investor return. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about raising capital, it's, it's very important to note that it's not just a one time and hand them off enterprise. Mm-hmm. It's really building the relationship and then if they decide to invest with your group and then nurturing that relationship over the entire lifetime of the project. Mm-hmm. So after the closing is done, we do regular investor calls to update investors on how the property is doing mm-hmm. uh, to let them know if there are any hiccups in the process, maybe a, a boiler is down or there was a fire, mm-hmm. you know, those sorts of things that need capital infusions. We let the investors know about that. Mm-hmm. So it's the whole life cycle of nurturing the investor relationship. Now, were you developing your potential investors before you even started going over to the GP side? Yeah, absolutely. So I had a multifamily group in Portland, Oregon, which is where I live. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was about 30 people or so. We called it the Willamette Investors Network. And I was uh, leading that on a bi-monthly basis. So we met every two weeks. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd invite a guest speaker to come in. We'd all learn a little bit about real estate and uh, talk about anything we were doing currently. And so I was, you know, developing relationships with people uh, long before we had an actual investor deals. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you should be active in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very important. You know, I, I started a a digital meetup halfway around the world, and that's how I kind of got my foot in the door. And here you are, you're starting your uh, meetup meeting biweekly in Portland. Were you able to get some investors from that? Yeah, we've had a couple of people invested there. And, and you know, and the large majority don't, and that's fine. You're, it's a very open thing. You, you let them know that you're involved in it. And if they want to, they want to. If they don't, they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we did. Now, let me ask you, when you were first starting out raising capital, did you have uh, any fears or uh, inadequate beliefs about raising capital? I did. Um, first of all, uh, just thinking that you had something to offer people. So uh, originally, people might be tempted to have the mindset of, oh, I've got to go out and recruit people. Uh, but I really challenge you, if you're in that situation right now, you want to overcome that limiting belief and realize that what you have is an opportunity for people to invest in. You're offering them the opportunity, and it's mm. not you that's going out and seeking people. Mm. And so making sure that you have that mind shift and you're able to shift over to an abundance mentality where you're helping each other rather than going out and, you know, uh, kind of selling people on it. Mm. So you definitely want to come over that limiting belief very quickly. Yeah, I heard, uh, I heard Brandon Turner, the host of Bigger Pockets, he said something very similar to that, you know, and like, you know, having the, uh, the fear of money. And then it was like, here I am. I have something to offer you. Like if you have a hundred thousand dollars and it's just sitting there while I could help you possibly, you know, two extra money as opposed to coming to the table thinking like I have nothing to offer. Like, Hey, hopefully, you know, if you threw me a bone, you can invest in my deal. And you know, like you're like the, the, mm-hmm, the black mm-hmm. sheep in the, in the room. It's like you actually, they have money. You have a solution to their money. Like we're both going to grow and this is a, uh, a, a euphoric relationship. And when he said it that way, I was like, wow, like that's very powerful stuff. Absolutely. And so on the flip side of that, you need to be as a, a person who is partnering with investors, you need to be on the lookout for people that are excellent multifamily property operators. Mm-hmm. And so if you can find operators that are finding good deals that are returning you know, 15 to 20 plus percent IRRs or IRRs that are better than the average person expects, then you really do have something that is an opportunity for people. Mm-hmm. So many people are used to smaller returns uh, in whatever investment vehicles that they're in, but real estate operators have great, great returns, great tax benefits, and it is, it's a great way to grow your wealth over the long term. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you strictly focus on as like when you're raising capital, do you focus on uh, the operator obviously is probably the main, the main person? Sure. Sure. So um, you want to be very protective of the number of people that you work with in terms of operators. Mm -hmm. So I only have two people, two groups currently that I'm working with. Uh, One of them was the one that I mentioned earlier down in Houston, Texas. That's three pillars capital. And the other one is the Think Multifamily Group mm-hmm. uh, that I'm currently joining and, and working with. 
So when you're looking at operators there, you want to make sure, first of all, that they have several deals that have gone full cycle and that you can see, yes, they've actually returned what they said they would to their investors. It's not promised, but you can make projections and we'll see how skilled you are at actually hitting those projections. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you want to see is people that, that uh, consistently execute well and then underwrite conservatively. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in their budget, they have extra margin for the unexpected item that comes up and their assumptions going into it is, you know, not that they're going to hit a home run every time, but, you know, they're assuming reasonable circumstances and they're budgeting for them. So you, you really do want to see people that can exceed their investor expectations, even if they're hitting their projections, which are just conservative. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. And I, I think it's also important to, you know, talk about the team as well. Like if you think about it, the big umbrella of like, we'll say like a football organization, right? You know, you have the owner, the general managers, the coach, the players, the trainers. I mean, everybody's really on the same team. So the capital raiser, they're kind of somewhere in there. The sponsors will just say is above them. So if you're coming in as an investor, this is just going to be a curated relationship with the capital raiser too. So this is going back and forth. This might take some time. And just like the same thing with the operator, like they should be developing a relationship as well. And everybody should kind of be on the same page. And if it's not, and you don't feel comfortable, you should never jump into a deal. And people that are uh, being really aggressive and not conservatively underwriting their deals, like you should not fall in love with the numbers and be like, wow, they're going to 2.5 X my money in five years. Oh my God, this is really great. Cause again, those are just projections. You want to be with an experienced team. You want to look at the team. You want to look at the returns. You want to look in their markets. You want to ask them about their underwriting models, what they're using and really dig deep. And if they can't answer your questions to get your money, then you should not invest with that capital raiser. You should not invest with that syndicator because having a, a strong team, you know, will take you farther than going by yourself. So I think it's important to note and add that. It's, it, it's important to realize too, that these are people that you're going to be in business with for the next three to seven years, depending on what the lifetime of that investment is. And so it's a long-term, you know, relationship. Yeah. And you need to be sure that the people that are on the other end, you know, the people that are both investors and the operators both understand that. And that there's a good working relationship in place before you go into that sort of agreement. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you also too, if you're going and you're thinking long-term, right? It's hard to think long-term nowadays, but when you're thinking long-term, if it's like, okay, you want to get into a deal, maybe initially you don't have to do a hundred thousand dollars, do one deal, invest with one property, that's $50,000. Things go well. They start liking you. You like the operator. They trust you more another deal comes around. You want to keep having reoccurring investors. You don't want to have a high churn rate of, I got 10 investors. My next deal comes around. None of them want to invest with me and I got to get 10 new investors. You want to slowly build up, uh, build up your investor relations and your list over time. Uh, what would you say is the biggest fear stopping people from capital raising? probably their limiting belief that their networks aren't big enough, that they somehow aren't good enough to offer, you know, themselves as an opportunity or their, their business as an opportunity. Um, generally, I think getting started is the hardest part, mm-hmm. you know, putting your first deal out there to a group of people and saying, Hey, this is what we're planning on doing. And if you're interested, you know, let's come and talk about it. 
on the flip side, I, you know, I, I look at investor fear every day. A lot of people uh, are fairly new to the idea of pooling your money together and syndicating mm-hmm. a property. Syndicating just meaning you have a syndicate that's purchasing the property, a group of people. And um, so you see a lot of, well, what happens if the economy goes down or how are you budgeting for such and such items? And a lot of questions that tend to be repeated uh, a lot. And so there's, there's fear through all stages and with all people that are involved in the life cycle of an investment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's not uncommon, but I, I think having a person that's more knowledgeable than you are, mm-hmm. partnering with people, mm-hmm. um, that's really what you need to do in order to overcome your fears and take the next step. Mm, yeah. It's very interesting that you said it's a, a newer type of investment for most people. It's because I always think, you know, like... It's new, right? But at the same time, it's not new. And that people, like example, they invest in their 401ks or they invest in ETFs, right? And if you were to say to somebody, like people kind of go with the pack, right? So they think like, oh, okay, like I'm supposed to invest in my 401k, like this is what I do. And then if you said to something like, okay, like you invest in Johnson Johnson, like who is the president of like the CEO of the company? And they're like, I don't know. But like Market Watch says it's a good one. So like I invest in it. It's like, you don't even know the owner. Like, and you're nervous about putting your money in like a collective pool of maybe like 30 investors and you can talk to the syndicate, you can talk to these people and real estate, you have more control as opposed to here you are investing into, you know, Johnson Johnson. You don't even know the SEO or the CEO of the company. And like, that might sound more like a gamble as opposed to putting into something that's like a stabilized asset plan with like sure. a, a, a good business plan. So I always, I always find that interesting when I hear people, you know, they're like timid and it's, you know, they're just not familiar with it and it, it takes yeah. a while to educate people. It's new. I like to say to people that when, when you're investing in a stock, it may go up and down and it fluctuates within a day, but with a real estate investment, usually there's a, a three to five year projection of what your income is going to be. Mm-hmm. And of course you could do sensitivity analysis to say, Hey, what happens if the market goes up or what happens if the market goes down? How does it affect my investment? But, um, I love the idea of having an investment that has a three to five year income projection. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's just a powerful thing to be able to know that your, your money, if it's resting with a good operator in a good investment, most likely will perform at certain levels over the next few years. Yeah. And I think once you start, you know, really laying it out for people and explaining like forced appreciation, you know, the, the, what target markets, what you're looking at focusing on employment and why, you, why you selected this property. It's like, okay, like maybe, maybe not this deal, but, uh, maybe in a year or two, I really think that, uh, starts, you know, turning the wheels there for you. Um, all right. Well, very cool. Well, I want to transition to the three closing questions I have here for you on the show. First question is, what is a pain point or weakness you face in your business? So right now, I, um, I've i just launched a podcast. Mm-hmm. And one of my pain points is uh, making sure that... Um, you know, that all the systems that I need to put in place in order to get that podcast out on a timely basis are in place. Mm-hmm. And so I've been looking at how, I'm with you. Yeah, you're right here, aren't <laughs> you? You're right you. there. I'm, with so you. I'm, I'm looking at it. How, how do I find people that are quality guests in order to invite on the show? Mm-hmm. Um, how can I treat them wonderfully by answering all their questions before they come on the show and thanking them after they come on the show? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I promote the show? You know, what happens if I'm inviting great guests on, but nobody's listening? 
you know, those are the sorts of fears I'm actually, you know, I'm dealing a little bit with right now. Mm -hmm. But um, hopefully the show is adding value to people out there. And so I've, I've seen enough times when you step out and start working on something, if you really if you really pour your heart into it and you've got great people talking about interesting topics and, you know, hopefully it'll pick up. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. All right. Second question is if you were to live abroad for anywhere for one year, where would you live and why? Boy, I was thinking about this. So, and it can't be France. You've already done the, you already done the France. Yeah. I was going to say I've lived in France for four years and that was a wonderful experience. I learned a second language as an adult and that was a, that was a very, um, um, uh, long experience uh, requiring a lot of patience and, and a lot of time. Um, but right now I would have to say I would like to either live in Uganda or Thailand. One of the Uganda. two. Okay. Why Uganda? So um, I support a sustainability group that's over in Uganda right now. Okay. Um, and so I'm involved with them and I know some of the people that are over there and they're out there building sustainable agricultural projects for Ugandan farmers. Cool. Uh, they're involved in things like training families on how to raise chickens in order to have eggs, uh, Mm. in order to sell those eggs and create a small sustainable business. Um, and so I've, I've given some thought about what it would be like over there. And then Thailand, Thailand might be more of I, I'm not sure about living there, but I definitely want to visit there just because well, I've always loved the, uh, the culture. And it seems, it seems like a very mysterious and, and, and interesting place to go. So I'm sure you have comments. Yeah. On that. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's very interesting. Like I live in Chiang Mai, Thailand and a lot of, uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously just, there's a lot of tourists and I, I see the light, the, the, um, how do I describe it? The, uh, almost like the, the, the green, right? The, the fresh eyes, like, whoa, like everything, like pad Thai. <laughs> and when I see that in people, I kind of get jealous because I remember, I remember that feeling. And now it's, now it's my everyday life. They're like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. like photo. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I'm going to go around. And I just like, I was just, I just remember that experience of just being like, so like everything was so euphoric and so cool. I'm still great. Don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, an interesting experience. How, how long have you been living there now? Uh, I've pushing on four years coming in October. So yeah, it's a bit of time. Yeah. All right, cool. Third question is what is your favorite book to regift? What is my favorite book to regift? Boy, that's, that's, that's an interesting one because you're not asking what my favorite book is. Yeah. To regift. Uh, To regift. Hmm. You know, I, I don't have a good answer. I mean, I immediately think of white elephant gifts because I, I love to re-gift things that give that look to people that's, you know, when they open it and they're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, right right now I'm reading a book called Developing the Leader Within You 2.0. It's a good book. I would consider re-gifting it to somebody else. Um, you know, but it's just a leadership quality building book. You know, honestly, I, it would have to be like a joke book, like a limerick book or a, something that okay. that, that uh, would make people laugh. Awesome. Very a, cool. a book of limericks, we'll All say. Right, very cool. <laughs> and Daniel, what's the best place for people to get a hold of you? Uh, so my company is Alon Capital, A-A-L-O-N Capital.com. Uh, I have a podcast called The Win Multifamily Show which is available on iTunes and Stitcher and other places. And if you'd like to email me, my email is daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L dot homland, 
H-O-L-M-L-U-N-D at alongcapital.com. Very cool, very cool. We'll make sure to include all that information in the show notes. Daniel, you've been a great guest. I appreciate you. We'll catch you on the next go-round, my friend. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys got some tremendous value there from it. But if you guys are looking to take your real estate career to the next level and looking to partner with us on your next real estate deal, please head on over to www.matthewbaltzell.com and sign up for the newsletter and you'll get our latest deal flows and our up-to-date real estate investing information, tidbits, and tips there for you. All right, guys. Catch you on the next go-around. Peace.